0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one.
1: An experimental drug is being hailed as a treatment for COVID 19 that could soon become the standard of care. That endorsement from no less an authority than Dr. Anthony Fauci, the top American infectious diseases expert. Yesterday, he released the results from a trial of remdesivir that involved more than a 1,000 severely ill patients in 75 hospitals around the world. It showed that patients who were put on the drug recovered 31% faster than similar patients on a placebo. That, on average cut the recovery time from 15 days to, excuse me, 11 days. Now, remdesivir is an experimental drug that was tried unsuccessfully to treat Ebola, though it did show some success with other coronaviruses, SARS and MERS. And not all the trial results have been released, and they have not been peer-reviewed, which is usually the way it goes in the normal process. Today, Fauci revealed that he went public with the results out of fear that they would be leaked. So what does all this mean for us in Canada? Let us welcome our old friend, John Papasturgio, who is a pharmacist and an assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Leslie Dan, Faculty of Pharmacists. Hi, John.
2: Hey, Libby. It's been a while.
1: It's been a while. Great to talk to you.
2: Yeah, you as well.
1: So, what do you make of this? Uh, you know, it looks like uh, the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. might give this some kind of emergency fast track. What do you make of it?
2: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's still a little bit early. I mean, I think we potentially have our first treatment because uh, uh, right now, a standard of care is really supportive care. We don't we don't really have any drugs available to to treat COVID. Um, but I think we still have to be realistic. You touched on a couple of things. The paper hasn't been peer-reviewed yet. It's uh, early days. We have some preliminary data. Uh, there's, you know, there was a study that came out a couple of weeks ago as well out of China where they stopped recruiting patients just because they didn't uh, have enough patients that were presenting with COVID as, as the pandemic was ending there. Uh, the results weren't as as good out of China. The very very preliminary results. So I think we have to take this with a grain of salt, but it is very very promising, um, and uh, let's see where it goes. Uh,
1: now, Fauci revealed that he, that he he uh, he told us about this because he was afraid of a leak, uh, and people taking advantage of the leak. Given that seventy five hospitals around the world were involved, but our uh, are. are Are we putting the cart before the horse here? I mean, this is, as you said, all very fast. Usually there is a very drawn-out process. uh, But is this what's needed when we're in the midst of a pandemic?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, these are very special circumstances. And I think uh, what we're seeing here for the the medication is probably what we're going to see with a vaccine or vaccine candidate potentially. So we're going to, you know, we are going to, I think... uh, uh, rush some of the approvals. That being said, I think we still have to rely on evidence. Like we saw what happened with hydroxychloroquine. I mean, uh, there was some positive anecdotal kind of information floating around from France, and all of a sudden it was being touted as a, as a cure, right? Yeah, but uh, there's so a big
1: difference between Donald Trump doing it and
2: Anthony course. Fauci doing oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Of course, of course. I mean, I think here we, we have preliminary results from a, a randomized trial. It's a pretty big trial. There was 1,000 patients. Uh, the endpoint, uh, obviously, is time to recovery, which is an important end point. So we have, yeah, we're at a point where uh, we could potentially have a drug that works. I think we're going to start seeing in the U.S. first. But there's a couple of things we should realize. We still don't have the duration of therapy worked out. The dosing is something uh, that's being talked about. There was a study that also came out yesterday where they said potentially a 10-day course is or a 5-day course is as good as a 10-day course. So there's all these details that are still kind of being worked out. Uh, The other thing many people, because I get a lot of questions about this, patients don't realize this is an IV medication, right? So it's not an oral medication. So it's not something you're going to be getting prescribed out of your family doctor's office. This is something that's going to be available if you get admitted into hospital, and will have to be administered intravenously.
1: Uh, let me ask you about supply, because, of course, if it, if it does get a fast-track approval, they're going to have to manufacture it. Right now, it's being released in the United States on a compassionate basis. Uh, and I've seen, you know, people are obviously excited and reacting to it, but basically saying, you know, we even if it's all good we're probably not really going to get any here in Canada.
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. I think with that, the company announced yesterday that they're on track to have 1.5 million doses available by the end of May. So uh, what that means with respect to treatment courses, we're not really sure if you have to treat patients for five days, obviously you'll be able to treat twice as many patients uh, uh, than if we have to do 10 days, but that's still going to be a limited uh, supply of medication. So, when this will be available in Canada or if it will be uh, fast-tracked by Health Canada is still something we don't know yet. I mean, most of the information right now is coming out of the U.S., and obviously there's such a, a, a much bigger market than we are. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think this is something you're going to see uh, you know, in, in weeks here in Canada. That being said, there were some Canadian sites that were contributing to the study, right? So patients in Canada that were in the stru- study have received the drug here as well.
1: Wow. Uh let me give the numbers out again. I bet people have questions about this. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty, toll-free one eight six 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 866 six 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 seven forty four seven forty. And uh, you know, uh looking at this, so it, it what it has shown in that particular study is that it cut the time that people are sick by one third. Yep. Uh which is uh in this case, four days, which can be very significant if you're very sick.
2: Oh, absolutely! And uh, uh, you know, four days, maybe, maybe four days that you're earlier out of, you know, out of the hospital, which makes room in the healthcare system to treat more patients. This is very significant. Uh, what we didn't see in the study was a statistically significant decrease in the number of deaths, and I think we might need a bigger study for that because the study was still relatively small given the you know the size that of some of these studies, uh, but uh, potentially uh, if the drug works and drugs works well, we may see a statistically uh, significant improvement in that in deaths as well somewhere down the line. Uh, there was a reduction, but it didn't hit that key significance number
1: if uh, if it's panning out uh, and we in fact are not getting supply here, is there anything? that we could do about that if the if the drug company just isn't releasing it to us?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I've heard that there are, under very uh, unique circumstances, governments can manufacture these medications even when they're on patent on their own. I'm not sure how that applies uh, to Canada. I heard there there are these emergency uh, measures. Uh, you know, best case scenario, uh, the drug company is able to, ramp up their supply if we do have a drug that becomes the standard of care and we're we're able to get it in Canada quickly. But I think that's uh, something that still has to be worked out at this point.
1: Do you think that all of this will... Change the protocols for drug approvals? I mean, normally it takes a really long time. And also I've, I've seen some critique here, but you know, Health Canada is usually pretty slow and it usually just follows what the Americans are doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I think we are a little bit slow. I think these, that being said, we're under very, very unique circumstances. So I think there's a reason that, you know, Health Canada, the FDA don't try to rush drugs because what we see occasionally is you'll see a drug that does very, very well, uh, in, you know, in clinical trials, and that efficacy is maintained as you go to a broader population. What you don't always capture is the rare side effects, right? And that's what why we, you know, we tread slowly with new medications, especially new classes of medications. Again, here we're dealing with an infectious disease that is... Uh, impacted a lot of people. So I think there's really is rationale to fast-track it. Will we see this type of fast-tracking across the board? I highly doubt it. I think, um, is there an opportunity for us to revisit the way we do this? For sure. Because what happens is, you know, the longer it takes for, for these drug companies to get to market, their costs go up and everything else. And then we see that translated in increased costs, obviously, to governments and to patients as well. So I'm sure there's opportunity to kind of streamline this. But This is a very unique circumstance, really.
1: And do you see any potential danger that maybe they've rushed to judgment a little bit and it could cause kind of a, you know, like with um, hydroxychloroquine, you know, a little bit of a craze?
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, Dr. Fauci said this a few times when we were talking about uh, the hydroxychloroquine and we saw it here, you know, experts in Canada saying the same thing. We can't throw evidence-based medicine out the window, right? Uh, The way we make decisions, clinical decisions, is based on evidence, not anecdotal, but evidence that comes from trials. And I think, yeah, can we push it a little bit quicker? Can we recruit patients quicker? Can we fast-track it? Absolutely. Should we ignore the evidence just so we have a treatment? No, uh, we shouldn't do that. So I think uh, what they're trying to do here is push these trials a little bit faster to see what the evidence says. But we shouldn't be treating patients if we don't have good evidence to suggest, hey, this is a good option for us and it's going to help save lives and help patients uh, improve quicker.
1: Okay, let let me uh give the numbers out again. Uh we do have a few more minutes left in this segment. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740 and we are talking about all the optimism around a drug called Remdesivir and some very pre- preliminary results from a trial that was Uh, that was done around the world shows that it reduces the amount of time people are sick with COVID-19 from a median of 15 days to 11 days, which is significant. And uh, it's uh, an experimental drug, uh, which uh, poses a whole host of challenges. Uh, It's been shown to have some effectiveness with other coronaviruses. John, I'm not sure... Was that shown in humans or or just in animals?
2: I think those were animal studies. I think where it was tried was uh, for Ebola in humans uh, during that, the last outbreak, and it was it didn't work great, uh, but it was it was considered an orphan drug, so a drug that we had available that's kind of been brought back to life uh, uh, because it's worked in this specific scenario. Um, and there are other drugs in this therapeutic class that uh, uh, are up and coming. Biochrist uh, Technologies, a company of the U.S., has an oral version of this drug. I think it's way behind Remdesivir, but potentially down the line, if the, the studies show, we may also be able to treat this orally, but that's uh, very, very early uh, days as well.
1: Uh, yeah, in in terms of the whole aspect of treating it, I think there are a lot of people who think that we we are more likely or certainly will get a treatment quicker than we get a vaccine. Do you have a view on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're still at least a year, uh, 18 months out from a, a vaccine, and there's no guarantee. We have quite a few vaccine candidates right now, uh, but there's no guarantee that these vaccines are going to work. So we, we still have no data on their efficacy. We're hoping uh, those results will be positive. I think more important than an oral ther- a therapy is uh, for us to get a vaccine that will get us back to kind of a normal life quicker. Uh, but again, we we don't know how far out that is there the the, you know, World Health Organization, the, the U.S. government, uh, us here in Canada, we've all, I think, put a lot of money right now into uh, developing a vaccine and fast tracking that as well. But Uh, Who knows uh, when we'll see that.
1: I I keep hearing a lot about all the uh, international cooperation to find a vaccine, though. uh, Frankly, it looks to me like there's, you know, a lot of competition. Everybody wants to be the one with that vaccine.
2: Yeah, I've got a list here of about, you know, 30 or 40 vaccine candidates that are are pretty far along. So, you know, whoever uh, uh, hits that vaccine first, we know that that's like winning the lottery. Uh, but again, uh, a lot of money is being invested, and there's no guarantee. We've seen a lot of vaccines go pretty far, but when they get to human clinical trials, they don't work for whatever reason. So, uh, I think we we can't get too excited yet. But that will be the game changer. I mean, uh, therapies to treat uh, COVID are important, but let's uh, let's get to a vaccine uh, so we could get back to normal life. And kind of with that, I wanted to say, I think uh, whenever we hear of a therapy potentially coming. Uh, people relax kind of all these other things we put into place. We're going into a good, uh, weather weekend here in, uh, Toronto and Ontario. And I'm already starting to see it on the Danforth. People are, are relaxing the social distancing. They're getting, uh, uh fed up, uh, and bored in their homes. Uh, I'm seeing crowds on the Danforth on the sidewalks and in downtown Toronto. I don't see it as much in the suburbs. I'm seeing lineups to get in, into my stores. I mean, we're still uh, supposed to be under isolation. And I think people are forgetting that. And we will get a second wave if we relax all this uh, stuff way too quickly. So we do have to be careful and remember, hey, we have a potential treatment here, but it's still a ways off. So let's, uh, let's still be diligent. Uh,
1: and it was interesting uh, yesterday when I was on my way home for the first time in quite a while, uh, there was a lot more traffic than I've been seeing for the last few weeks
2: absolutely i'm seeing the same thing and people are just getting stir crazy i'm seeing it in the stores they're browsing i mean we're open here uh uh, uh you know for essential items and uh, uh i see people browsing in the stores you know that's not uh where we should be yet and i mean we're going to start relaxing some of these restrictions but it hasn't happened yet so i think the message that should be out there is uh urge people hey Let's still be careful. Let's still be diligent, because uh, I've seen it firsthand. There are, if you get sick with this, uh, you could potentially get very, very sick. It's not everyone, but you fall in that category. Uh, uh, it's potentially life-threatening. So I uh, think about everyone everyone around you and those uh, immunocompromised people around you as well.
1: Well, yeah, and it's it, it's interesting. I mean, one of the, you know, we know that there are certain things that make people more susceptible, but otherwise uh you know there's often no way of knowing who's going to get very seriously ill and and who who might even be
2: asymptomatic oh there's young people dying young healthy people dying obviously not as common as you know people that are maybe elderly with risk factors or immunocompromised but there's absolutely no way to predict right now who's going to die from this and who will have no symptoms close colleague of mine uh Uh, five family members, all of them tested positive. She's a pharmacist. The husband's a a, uh, fireman. The fireman got very, very sick. Thankfully, he's recovered. Uh, You know, the rest of the family was positive, very few symptoms. And the father, unfortunately, is uh, in the ICU, intubated now. So you can't, yeah, you can't predict uh, who's going to get sick and who isn't. Uh, uh, And if you have older people at home, you got to be very, very careful. But this is uh, non-discriminative, uh, please uh, everyone, uh, you know, stick to that social isolation and be very, very careful, because it is becoming more lax. I'm seeing it, and starting to make me worried.
1: And uh, another... You know, uh, another, I guess, uh, a bad thing happening because of this. I mean, at the best of times, we have a lot of drug shortages here in Canada, but uh, I gather that there are extra ones now because of this.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I've been trying to come on uh, uh, just so we could talk about this. We saw it very, very early on in the pandemic. People started hoarding and hoarding medications uh, to the point our respiratory medication drug supply was becoming very, very short. Things like Ventolin, Symbicort, very important drugs that we need for people that are acutely ill. Uh, I had to know, get
1: on a waiting list for Ventolin. I got it eventually. and, and But yeah.
2: Yeah, of course. And this was because people were, were worried and they were uh, hoarding the medications. They were taking three, six-month uh, supply of drugs when they didn't really need it. The reason we've, you know, we've, we've gone down to a 30-day supply right now is to protect that drug supply to make sure those patients that need their medications are able to get them when they need them. If this, we don't really know how long this is going to go, and if it continues to go over a longer period of time, uh, we can put that supply at risk, and it's going to be dangerous potentially for patients that need their medications and, and are acutely ill. So it's something to think about when you go into your pharmacies. We're trying to explain this to our patients. Not everyone seems to understand it. They're worried about their co copays and whatnot. But the reality is, if everyone hoarded their meds, we'd be in a lot worse situation right now.
1: Are there any over-the-counter common drugs that are in short supply? Uh, you know,
2: initially we did we did see uh, Tylenol go on short supply. Uh, we I still see things like uh, infrared ear thermometers aren't available. Uh, hand sanitizers are so hard to get. Uh, things like that but uh, that supply is starting to come back Uh, but again if you don't need five bottles of Tylenol buy one and we are limiting uh, certain items in the store as well Uh, you know sanitizers in particular because people are buying a lot at one time Um, but uh, you know think about your neighbors think about your family and friends uh, if you don't need it, don't hoard it, and I think we'll all be okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And I remember at the beginning, also there was something out of France that said uh, Advil doesn't work, but but Tylenol does. So there was a run on Tylenol, and then that the turned out one, not to be
2: true. Yeah. yeah, it turned out not to be true. There was there was a lot of misinformation early on, so that was one of those things we didn't we weren't sure. So people were uh, loading up on Tylenol. One of the other things that's been very recently. Uh, uh, rebunked, is uh, uh, patients on ACE inhibitors, which are very common antihypertensive medication. They thought for whatever reason they were at, uh, there was uh, some anecdotal evidence to say they were at higher risk for dying of COVID if they got it. And that's actually totally been reversed. There's a study that's come out that said, hey, if you're on an ACE inhibitor, stay on it if you get COVID, because it turned out the opposite was true. So Uh, early on, I think we were still learning. If you look in the medical journals right now, all the big ones, all they're publishing is stuff on COVID and the scientific community is really pushed forward to get as much evidence as we can, uh, get out to the clinicians that are on the front lines.
1: Okay. Uh, John, we're basically out of time, uh, 20 seconds. What would you like to leave us with?
2: Just remember we're going into a good weekend. Everyone maintain that social distancing, uh, Don't uh, start throwing barbecue parties. Uh, Only go out if you really need to. And uh, we'll all get through this together. And I hope to see you soon. Libby in person.
1: I hope to see you soon in person, too. Thank you so much for this.
0: (laughs) No problem. Take care. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.